With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this episode is brought to you by Mrs. Myers. A delightfully clean home can make for a delightful start to the day. At Mrs. Myers, everything we make is inspired by the garden. With plant-derived ingredients, our cleaning products work like the Dickens, leaving your home sparkly clean and your to-do list tackled in no time. So bring a little bit of the outside inside your four walls and bask in the wonder of a garden from the comfort of home. Mrs. Myers, rooted in goodness. Shop now at MrsMyers.com. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360-degree sound, so you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Hey guys, this is Emil Heskey, and you're listening to the guys of Coppin Crackers. Hi everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Captain Fracker, powered by Touchline Media Group. I am your host Chris, and today we are bringing you the most ambitious crossover of 2020 so far. Um, actually yeah, there's no more video anymore is there? I always keep reverting back to that as you can see on your screen, but we're not doing the full length episodes anymore so it's a bit of, a, bit of an odd one. Uh, from a Copen point of view, I am joined by Fahi and Mike. How are you doing gentlemen? Yeah, not too bad yourself. Not too bad, thank you. Fahi? I'm good, man. I'm good. Thanks for asking. All good, man. No, no How are you? Always got, always got to check in with the boys. I'm not too bad, thank you. A little bit of a mad one at work, but uh, the anticipation of uh, doing this this evening with you guys has been uh, pulling me through it. So, all That's good. Cute. That's cute. Yeah, no problem. 
Ah, yes. And if you haven't seen from uh, social media today, this is a very, very special uh, episode. I'm proud to actually say that I'm joined by two of my favourite guys from uh, one of my favourite football podcasts, Dej and Dot from the Beautiful Game podcast. Dej, Dot, how are you boys doing today? I'm good. I'm fine for having us. No, I'm no, doing no, great, bro. Absolute pleasure. Yeah, I'm doing great, bro, man. It's a pleasure to be on, you know, your platform. I think the streets have been calling for it. So it's about time <laughs> it's happened. So, yeah, man, let's get it cracking. No, I love it. We've got to give the streets what they want, haven't we? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so let's, uh, let's, let's dive straight into what everyone is going absolutely ballistic about at the moment in terms of transfer stuff. So we've seen today that Genie Wilden is close to exiting Liverpool for a move to Barcelona. Um, Dej, Dot, you know, as we do with all guests on, we'll let you have the first word on this. Um, how do you guys feel about this transfer, force, first and foremost? Because uh, it feels like it's a little bit of a contentious one that we see online. You know, a lot of people are eager for Gene to be out the door with him only having one year left on his deal so they can get the, the nice new shiny object in, which, you know, such would, would be Thiago Alcantara. So how do you guys feel about that? Um, it's something that's been simmering under the surface for a while. People obviously interlinking Thiago's future with Gini Wanyaldum and obviously with Ronald Koeman taking the helm at Barcelona. I think that's complicated things because us as Liverpool fans, we've seen Gini play that restricted water carrier role for us. And with Holland, he's much more adventurous, attacking, scoring goals. So from that perspective, it makes sense as to why Gini would want to leave. Like when you think about it, he's achieved everything he's needed to achieve at Liverpool. He's came, he saw, he's conquered. You know, he's won the Premier League, Champions League, Super Cup. So sometimes in any relationship, you know, it reaches that point where for both parties, it makes sense. You know, he's reached all of his objectives at Liverpool. And obviously from a Liverpool perspective, we've got great years of service for him. So sometimes you can say, you know what, it makes sense for us to yeah. sell him and obviously bring in Thiago. Hmm. It's interesting because I read social media, um, but I don't get too much involved in all the debates <laughs> and everything because it just drives Honestly, me I think, the wrong way. But, I think that's that's the best way to be with it half the time. Because when you, re- well, I think when you read that first negative comment and then you see the cas- cascading of other negative underneath it, you're just like, okay, cool. I'll probably sit this yeah, one out. I've seen like a huge amount of comments saying, obviously, Genie, get out. And this is a player that served, you know, Liverpool excellently. So I can't believe that Liverpool fans are actually like trying to force him out the door because this is a player that's been a very important cog in the Klopp project. He was, you know, one of Jurgen Klopp's first transfers. And I think he's one of those players that once he's out of the door, you'll miss what he does. I can hold my hands up and say, you know, there's some games where Genie hasn't performed or he's gone missing, but there's so many games where he's come clutch for Liverpool. And the Atletico Madrid game, that important goal, Games against Manchester City where he's dictated the tempo of the game. Arsenal performances where he's just been unreal. So, as Des said earlier, yes, maybe it has got to the point where this is a natural conclusion that, you know what, Genie, you've got our best wishes going, go on to Barcelona. And now that opens up the door for, you know, that five minutes <laughs> in the midfield at Thiago, which we can't wait to, to get in. <laughs> we'll we'll touch on Thiago a little bit later on, but uh, Fahi, I know you feel fairly strong on um, Wijnaldum and all the reasonings behind his potential exit. So I wanted you to touch in on a little bit more on that in terms of how it relates to both parties, really. 
Yeah, I mean, this is something that obviously we've oh, I've been speculating for the past like twelve months. Like, this is something we discussed last summer as well. Um, I've always felt as if like he was unsettled. I remember last season he was being linked to the most random teams like Besiktas. I was just really confused as to why that was happening. And then I kind of read up a bit more about it. I spoke to a couple of people as well, and they kind of explained the situation about his family not being based in like Liverpool, being based in Holland and all that stuff. So I always expected him to go back to Holland, mm-hmm. um, which made a lot of sense. But then obviously he's, he's been given this opportunity now where one of his favourite coaches, a coach that plays him completely different to the way he plays for Liverpool, is now managing Barcelona. And for a player that's 29, going to turn 30, you're only going to get one last big move. And how can you be like criticised for going from Liverpool, where you've achieved what you came to do, to going to Barcelona, one of the biggest clubs in the world? You cannot blame him at all. Um, I feel as if, again, something else I've said in the past, you will only appreciate Wijnaldum after he leaves the club. He is one of the most frustrating players on earth sometimes. Like, there are games where he, he, he literally won't touch a ball. He won't get involved with anything. And you're just really confused as to what he's bringing to the game. But there are other games, like Dej brought up, like Atletico Madrid, the Barcelona game, Man City, where he's just been unplayable. And, like, I, I just really think the moment he leaves, we will realise in certain games how much we actually do miss him and how much he brought to the team. Um, I think the amount of disrespect being shown to him online is I don't know it's a bit of a piss take I'm not really sure as to why our fan base feel as if they can just kind of shit on a man's name I'm, I'm really confused by it I don't actually know what he's done wrong um, he can be frustrating at times but I don't know I just feel as if people have gone overboard on some of the criticisms on him um, I would have loved, to him, loved for him to stay but with 12 months remaining you have to weigh up is he worth 20 mil? Like, is he worth sacrificing 20 mil to stay one more season? Is Wijnaldum in a Liverpool team worth 20 mil right well, now? the thing, because if you look at his, um, look how much he's probably like, on what, about 80 grand a week at the moment? Yeah. So that's exactly. about four mil over the course of a year. Yeah. Something around that. So is he, is he worth, for one season, four million pounds to Liverpool as opposed to 22 million that you're getting for him? I'd probably say yes. But obviously the player desire to leave, go and play for his national team coach. And I think the, the most important thing, thing is, he's only got one year left on his deal, so he can get he, so he can secure his early payday now, which yeah, he I, would have got yeah, that next year I, anyway. I wouldn't be quick enough to say the player wants to leave. I think this relationship is coming to a natural conclusion, as Des yeah. said earlier. I don't yeah. think Gina Wijnaldum's pushing for a move. And just to go back to our interview on the Beautiful Game podcast with Rian Brewster, he was saying, this guy is a leader in the camp. This guy is someone that helped me every day when I'm in the camp. And as far as he said, the disrespect that he's shown is it's unacceptable from some Liverpool fans. Yeah, it's absolutely totally seamless plug, by the way. I'll just have to give you that one. Up. <laughs> 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 it's how you've done this before. <laughs> no, one hundred and ten percent. To be honest, genuine Nowadays, he's a happy-go-lucky guy. He's a key cog in this team. And to be honest, if Thiago wasn't looming in the background, I would say it might be worth you know, holding out and allowing Gini Wijnaldum to um, spend the rest of the 12 months at Liverpool. Because when you look at his value, we signed him for, what, 20, 25 million pounds from Newcastle yeah. when they got relegated. Yeah. And he's probably repaid that value back in the performances. 100%. When you talk about oh, by, the by trophies far. won. So yeah. it made sense. But it's the Thiago that's hanging in the background that makes <laughs> it, you know, a it juicy the, saga. Yeah. That's it. 
it's the spectre in the background that is Thiago Alcantara. Um, <laughs> uh, Mike, I'll quickly pop to you on this one before we do delve into the Thiago stuff. Um, it is quite sad, isn't it, when you think about it, that you know, one album is potentially on the way out, as he has been that key cornerstone during the Klopp era. He's been one of the more consistent players. He's always been there, and he's been, you know, fairly reliable. Uh, you know, showing up in the big moments and not not really been injured as opposed to some of his counterparts. Yeah, I completely agree. And just to add to what's been said already, like I find the stuff on Twitter really bizarre. Like people are treating him like he's been this bit part player for us, and we're finally getting rid of him because he's been like terrible every time he's played for us. Like, well, this guy has stepped up so many times for us. You talk about Middlesbrough. I think Middlesbrough goals, but one of the biggest goals we've ever scored like, in our history, man, because that goal alters everything for us. Like, he scores that goal in a tense game against Borough to basically secure top four for us. He didn't get goals against Man City. He scored against Arsenal. He scores all of his goals. When you actually go through them, are massive goals. He's a big game player. Barcelona, two goals. And he's done so much for us. And he's one of the players that Klopp's relied on heavily over the last two years. Two of, our, two, two of the best years we've had in, in recent years. So... I find the Genie One Adam stuff on Twitter bizarre, but like what I would say is Genie One Adam has been like a pleasure to have him at the club. Like he epitomizes everything I've loved about this Liverpool team for the last few years. Like he is he is and can be very inconsistent, but he's on his day is a phenomenal footballer. And he's right, model professional, much. man. Model professional. Yeah, professional. And, 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 and again, like what um, Dot was saying in terms of how the players see him, he's like, I know they have like this leadership like and yeah. Thing and he's like fourth choice vice captain or whatever, but yeah. it just shows how highly he's rated by the club. Um, 100%. Yeah, he's only he's only just shown what a model professional he is. You've never had anything like you've never had any issues with him. Never seen him get into arguments with any, anyone. Like you don't see any of that. You just see him calm, collected, and you kind of need that in the middle of the pitch sometimes. And I one thing I would say, thing... to be fair, is Damn. I'm worried because we sold Lalana. Lalana was basically this unbelievable leader in terms of the training, setting the tempo. Or we, he, he were left on a free, sorry. And I'm worried that we're selling Genie Manadam, who's another leader, who's another dressing room character. And Lovren, to be fair, whatever you say about him, he was a dressing room leader too. Like some of the young players speak about Lovren helping, helping them out too. So we're kind of selling three integral members of the dressing room. And I just hope that hopefully if Thiago does sign, he emerges as, as a dressing room leader for us because I, I think we've lost three integral characters in terms of the character of, uh, of the club, really, over the last few years anyway. I think the that's biggest very, testament you can pay to Genie Wijnaldum is that he's actually sacrificed himself for this Liverpool team. When you watched him in previous years for Newcastle and during his time at Holland, Completely. he played in yeah. a much more attacking position. And he's never once moaned and said, oh, I want to be playing more forward. I'm not comfortable yeah. in this position. He's basically said, you know what? I'm going to sacrifice my team or my position for the greater good of the team. So that speaks volumes of the sort of character he is. Yeah, he's the, he's like, he's like we've been saying, he's the model professional, really. Uh, he's the guy that, you know, when you want to sign a player, how you want them to conduct, them, to, uh, to conduct themselves on and off the pitch. Yeah. He's the type of guy you really want. He's willing to put his body on the line and his positional awareness on the line for the team and show up in the big game scenarios. So, let's move on to the potential incoming then, one in, one out, as it is. Um, sorry, Fadi, do you want to touch on something else? Yeah. No, I'm going to touch it on the Thiago point. It's fine. I can cool. I'll come to you straight. I'll come to you first then. So, Tiago Alcantara, we've been hearing the kind of the same lines for about what past, <laughs> past two, three weeks, weeks now. <laughs> <laughs> this this uh, this this bit this beard must which must be going in on the, that old school AOL internet connection <laughs> with the uh, with a dial up. Um, so God knows where that is at the moment. But 
where there is smoke, there is fire. And obviously there is definitely an interest in the player as, I mean, as we've talked about before in our, in our group, um, the, the, the tone has changed from UK journalists in terms of uh, there is an interest in Thiago as opposed to no, nothing at all. What's not, they're not nothing sleep, whatsoever. Man. They're not sleeping. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the, obvi- like, the way they change their attitude so quickly is so obvious. They, they change little wordings in their article. <laughs> and, um, you've had to read it, but, uh, it's gone from there is interest of course Klopp would love him whereas at first it was you know mm. there's no interest at all Liverpool have rubbished it you got to say whoever's doing the press and stuff at Liverpool these days by the way giving the briefings out mm. opposed to the Jen Chang days where he would come around your house and try to bottle you <laughs> um, it's been handled very very smoothly but um, but yeah the player obviously interested manager interested I think he'd be a very good fit at the club Fahi I'll hand it over to yourself uh, mate, uh, like I said earlier when I spoke to you guys, if I would have known, if you would have told me seven months ago that Thiago would be linked to Liverpool, I'd have just laughed in your face. Like that is just <laughs> not a signing I would have ever seen coming. Even when he first got linked, I was rubbishing it straight away. I was like, "Yo, come on, this is never." Yeah, it's, it's it's not in the model. He's twenty nine. That's the phase. Yeah, yeah. It, n- none of it made sense. But like the more the more I've seen, I was like, "Wow, I really need him at the club." Like. I understand some of the, um, the the worries around him in terms of his fitness and, you know, some of the injuries he's had in the past. And I think when you then compare it to who he potentially may be replacing, someone who was available, let's say, 95% of the time for the past three or four seasons, it's a big jump in terms of, in terms of reliability. So where you might be sacrificing someone who's always there you're potentially getting someone with more ability. And, you know, it is a risk. And I think, depending on who you speak to, some people would prefer the ability over the reliability. Mm-hmm. Some people would prefer reliability over, you know, appearing only 30 times a season. Which way do you want to go? Do you get what I mean? Um, so my question to Dot and Dej, how do you feel? Like, do you feel as if it is a risk going for a Tiago when you've gone from a Wijnaldum who's basically been available 95% of the time. Mm, yeah, I would say it is a risk, but I think this Liverpool team have been pigeonholed as, you know, basic Barrys, Lumberjacks, and I think it's probably the right attack. That's, <laughs> that's such a good verb. <laughs> no, that's clearly how you feel, man. No, no, that's what people have said. <laughs> yeah, people have said it. I remember someone came on our platform. I'm not going to name him. But he's a familiar face on um, Touchline Fracas. Said the midfielder Lumberjacks. But I think Thiago offers that pinache, that attacking zeal. We've got Robertson on the left, Trent on the right. And he will offer that penetration through the middle, which we're obviously lacking. So I think it's a risk worth taking, in my opinion. But again, as you mentioned, Wijnaldum, his availability, he's robust. That technical security that he provides Liverpool... But Thiago offers that as well, let's be honest. So I, I think it's worth doing that twist at this moment right now. I think if you have the opportunity to sign the second best centre midfielder in the world, you have to take it. There's no risk. And yes, he may have a checkered you know, injury record, but that's where your squad comes into play. And I know there's opposition fans that don't rate this player, but for me, I think it's a big season for Navigator. So I think if you can get Thiago playing at the best of his ability. Even if he does pick up an injury, we've got a Naby Keita that's trying to force his way into the first team. So I think this signing makes perfect sense and I can't wait to see Thiago in a Liverpool shirt. 
Do you think opposition don't rate him though? Because I feel as if now, slowly but surely, people have clocked that, you know what, this guy does have it in him. It's just a case of him being fit. You know, yeah, most me, people must. No, go on, Mike. I was going to say, most, most people must know that Naby Keita's ability, like, it stares you right in the face. It's just fitness for me. But yeah, go, go ahead, Doc. No, I think he's a, a terrific player. I expect I've, I've got the most stocks in him. I just think when he's fit and firing, when he has that confidence, you're seeing him have more confidence around the camp. And I think the title celebrations were very pivotal to me because you can see him right in the thick of things. Um, so I think it's going to be a big season for Naby and I think he's going to be a shining light um, this season. I was speaking um, to a very well-respected Liverpool journalist when I was at the Community Shield and they said, listen, Naby Keita, they feel he's going to have a big season so I can't wait to see what he does this season. So we had a little bit of the same. We, so we were ironically talking about this last week when we were talking about who we can expect kind of those incremental gains from in the current setup going into next season. And I think we all universally agreed that that, that guy was Naby. It's just, so like, like you said, Dot, I mean, the injuries and stuff, they've, they've really hurt him. But the, the ability, I mean, the, from the close of last season, you just saw how, how much of an energetic ball this guy is in, in terms of the midfield. And, you know, when you don't have that, um, I think. Uh, Saturday was a perfect example of it when you haven't got that uh, that that guile and penetration going on from the, the from the flanks is how we normally operate. You need a guy like Navigator in there to get pick the ball up, drive it ten yards mm-hmm. forward, and get things going and just get the energy in there. So yeah, I'm expecting a massive, massive season from him. I, I think the thing with Naby is that a lot of people think that he's really, really injury prone, but I don't think it's that. I think he's picked up injuries at the wrong time. Yeah. Like for example, we have a game of four good games in a row, then he gets injured. So I don't necessarily think he's injury prone. I just think he's really picked up a lot of injuries at bad times in the season. You know what? I've called him out a few times. First season, some of the some of the times he would drop down. I'd be like, "Yo, is remember, he remember, really the, remember the Napoli game? Yeah, oh, Napoli away. Uh. When he started tweaking his back, I was like, "Yo, he's not feeling this game, man. Like, <laughs> nothing wrong with him. He just wasn't feeling it." But, yeah, he's like looking at the crowd like, these Italians are a bit wild aren't they bloody no, hell he did not want to be on that pitch <laughs> <laughs> no um, so if, if Thiago came to the club um, how would you see that working out in terms of a formation when you possibly see it's, uh, us reverting to the 4-2-3-1 the club's had a bit of a favouritism for in the past but tried it with Shakiri and it went down like a bloody lead balloon or would you see him fitting into the current uh, 4-3-3 setup? So what would you think the personnel would be for that as well? I think it'll be um, 4 3 3. I think Thiago will obviously be at the tip because that's where he operates um, best. Obviously, when the two centre half split, he gets the ball, recycle it, play it into like a Nabi Keita or something. But this is where the conundrum happens because you've got Jordan Henderson, you've got Fabinho, you've got Nabi Keita. So who's going to be the sacrificial lamb? It's a very, very tough one. Jordan Henderson, on current form, in my opinion, he can't be dropped. Fabinho, he had a bit of an off-season. Obviously, he picked up that nasty ankle injury, which saw him, you know, ruled out from December to, like, February. And when he came back, I don't think he was quite at the races, although he started to show form towards the end of the season. I think when after he's... lockdown, he was amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say, yeah. Against yeah. Palace, that goal that he scored, you know, he showed that he was back to form. So, hmm, it's a tough one, but if I was to pick a starting three... It would have to be Thiago, Henderson and Fabinho. But I think Naby Keita is going to come into that um, four and maybe take one of those positions. But being safe, I'll go with that three. I could see that being 
the four that he probably goes to most in the league, if anything, because I think you could do Thiago at the six, uh, Hendo and Naby in front against uh, some of the some of the bottom half teams. So you definitely do that for let's say like a West Brom at home. I always use that example because you're gonna have. <laughs> I always use that because you're gonna have you're gonna have about seventy five percent of the ball. Mm. Um, it's not purist, but you know, Billich is similar of that ilk. So it, in games like that, you can definitely see where it works. Um, in terms of the strength and depth, though, because I've I've had this little bit of a theory over the past few weeks that with some of the current outgoings, and I mean, I think we're all fairly expecting Marco Gurich to leave the club yeah. at some point now. And with the injury proneness of, of, of an ox and, you know, Hendo is not immune to the odd knock here and there. Mm. Do you think there's room for a, another central midfielder to possibly the, come to the club? Yeah, I do. And I think the central midfielder is already at the club. I think it's Curtis Jones. Um, I know Jurgen Klopp likes him a lot. I like him. Um, I think he's a good player. He's got confidence. He's got the technique. He's press resistant. So I think he's going to have a big season. I'm not sure how many games he's going to play, but I think they're seeing him as that long-term replacement um, for Adam Lallana. Completely agree. Um, anyone else? I love that shout, by the way, because I generally think he's the natural Lallana replacement. I'm thinking Minamino could get some minutes mm, in midfield, yeah. you know, because I've seen him... He's a, he's a weird player, because I think he's so brilliant technically. He's almost... like he, I, don't know best, I don't know his best position yet. Yeah. Like oh. I, he, he's good in a half turn. He's good in those little half spaces. He, he's a bit Lallana esque when he plays at, like in those kind of pockets. And I'm thinking, could he play number eight for us? I'm not. I'm not sure we played in there before, but I think he'd I be think comfortable. He, I there. think he, I think he could. You know, he, can, he play number eight. The way he can like turn and shield the ball is yeah, really well. Because I, I, I see him. Because when we when we reverted to four two three one at the weekend on Saturday. And we had all the attacking players on the pitch. I couldn't really tell you where everyone was playing, in all honesty, because everyone was floating around so much and just interchanging. And it was bamboozling, hoodwinking <laughs> defenders on that pitch. It was, just, it was lovely to see with, with all the attacking talent we had on there. So I'm all, I'm all for that. <laughs> no, 110%. I think Minamino, when you look at our front three, um, they've all got certain characteristics. And I don't think Minamino fits into that. Our front three is all about pace, getting in behind, obviously Bobby Firmino dropping in to allow Mane and Salah to exploit the spaces. But saying that, he might have a position in that false nine. If we don't, you know, sign anyone, maybe he could come in for some games and provide that foil for Mane and Salah to work off. Yeah, because I genuinely feel that he's going to provide serious competition to Bobby Firmino because I'm, I'm Bobby's biggest fan, but there's too many games where he's just coasting through the game and you can see it with the way he plays, with his touches and trying to be too clever with some of his passes. And I genuinely believe that Minamino is going to put a lot of pressure on Bobby. And if he doesn't play well, it's now, Bobby, hold on, you're on the bench this week. Minamino is training well. We're going to bring him in. Yeah, but do you I think that's if, a much of a threat? Do you think, I think he's going to exert not. much pressure on Bobby Firmino? I yeah, think... No. Yeah, go on, go on. When, when I look at Minamino, especially, I was watching him up close and personal the other day. I think what he does really well is that he gets into the box. Like, he's had so many opportunities where, okay, he may miss kick it or he tries to turn and he, he can't get his shot off. But I think that's about getting used to the pace of English football. And once he makes that adjustment, I can see him scoring possibly like eight to ten goals this season. So do you think he's that person we're basically looking for to provide that, you know, threatening competition to the front three? I think if you're asking me, 
No, because I wanted a team aware now. But I think Jurgen Klopp, absolutely, he, he thinks this is the man to provide that competition. Don't forget, we've also got Rian Brewster lurking around in the background. From what we've been told, we're not sure if he's going to go alone, but staying is a potential option. And I think when you start looking at it from a deeper perspective, you've got Shakiri there, it looks like he may stay. You've got Minamino, you've got Brewster, you've got Rigi. That's decent options. I'm not saying it's Man City level, but it's decent. All right, so so question. So um, something came out earlier on today about uh, Rian potentially not being put out on loan. Um, if that's the case, in what order would you have our second string forwards in terms of you know, um, jumping back into the eleven. So obviously, you've got like Origi, Shaq, Brewster, Minamino. How would you rank them in terms of the likelihood of replacing one of the front three? Oh, that's um, a very good question. I would have to say Minamino because we haven't seen him enough. Then I would have to say probably Shakiri. But we haven't seen him enough as well, to be fair. Like, we don't know what he's got left in the tank. It seems like a long, long time since we've seen him. But when we've seen him play some cameos, he's delivered. Like, I remember that Manchester United game, him, you know, turning the game on his head. You know, I have to say... Exactly. So, and I would say Brewster as well. I'll put Brewster ahead of Origi. I think Origi's shown that he's not quite at that Liverpool game. Yes, I know it's tough when you're playing games sporadically. You're not getting starts five in a row. But I'd like to see Bruce to give an opportunity ahead of him. Yeah, I agree with that, Dej. I feel like I feel like Origi's time at Liverpool has come to a natural conclusion now, where he's won the trophies now. He's, he's contributed significantly as well in terms of his Champions League. But I just feel like... I, I, I love him to pieces, but I'm kind of fed up of watching him play for Liverpool now. And it'll be nice. To just, not in a not in a bad way, but it's like when Origi's when Origi's in a team shit in his left wing, I'm just thinking, oh my god, like I can't be dealing with this. Anymore. You know what though? I prefer him on the left and centre forward. Yeah, but it's like no. He's <laughs> such an enigma. It's unreal. Like I mean, you yeah. look at the last game of the season against Newcastle. I thought he was. Well, not diabolical, but he was just in and out of the game and he was, he wasn't was so making the best of his chance. And then just pulled that goal out of his locker and he's like, okay, cool, that's what you're actually capable of, like on a consistent basis. But it is at that point, I think, with him where you know, a move, possibly a move away where he get you know, 30 starts a season would just be the best thing for him. At this the point thing is, why would you want to go? Why would you well, want to leave the, the best this... thing in England when he's getting paid 100k a week? This is, the thing with Sha- this is the thing with Shaq as well, because I'm generally convinced he's hiding at Melwood so no one finds him by the end of the transfer window. <laughs> so <laughs> which, never seen him which order would you post? have him? Which order would you rank it in in terms of players that you think can be implemented into the forward line? Minimum and Brewster definitely the top two I would have. Probably yeah. Shaq after that, then Origi. What, you would put Brewster ahead of Origi? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I've seen enough. I think is Arigi, Bruce, though, the yeah. finishing ability is nuts. In, in and around the box, I trust him over like any of our forwards, maybe. Just like that one-touch finish, bam, Brewster's the man. No, but Origi is very, very clinical as well. Like, My issue with Origi is the whole game influence. Like When you're watching, sometimes it looks like he's in his own world. He comes on and you're like, what are you thinking? What game are you playing? Kind of thing. He's falling down. He's trying to run. That's he feels my like issue. He feels like Origi's very much an accountant playing football. 
Like he'd rather like be doing spreadsheets and stuff than being on the pitch. Sometimes. Dej, that's such a good point. I sometimes feel like Origi lives in his own world when he comes on, and it's like he hasn't got the tempo of the game. He's trying to step over in the corner or something. I'm just thinking, no, what, Mike? You say that, but I remember James Milner coming out and saying this. He's in his own world. He would just arrive on time to training. No one would say anything, and then Origi would so just arrive. Dead. He's that yeah. player it's that both, it's both he's in his own uh, world, but he delivers clutch moments for Liverpool. It's both a weakness and a strength, right? So, like, when you live in your own world, you don't feel that pressure that we all might feel like <laughs> players. I think Milner said that. But then, like, sometimes we've seen him just in his own world and almost, like, too detached from the game. And, like, Dej said, I think Dej makes a, a really good point there, to be honest with you. So, I just think Brewster just has the edge. Like, I feel like Brewster, like, from what we've seen in pre-season as well, his link-up plays good. His, mm. his back-to-goal plays fantastic. And the finishing ability, I just think on both feet in the box, I trust Brewster so much. Like, some of the goals he scored for Swansea off both feet, it's just fantastic, really. So, But uh, the one criticism people have made of Brewster and what's come out of Melwood is he doesn't get involved in games enough. And well, Origi's the same, I think. So, between the two, Origi's, Origi's similar. Origi's often on this cusp, cusp of a game that he produces the moment of magic. Yeah, you go for the, you go for the younger model every time. Go, I think the one, thing, um, the one thing about that list, I will say, is... It's got everything on it. It's got a clinical finisher in Brewster and at certain times Origi. It's got um, someone who can link up the midfield and attack in Minamino. The one thing it is critically lacking is the one person who can come in and play on the wing and has some blistering pace. Mm. So, I, 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 I haven't watched Ismail Assar as, as much as anyone else because I've literally only seen him in one game where he bags two goals <laughs> and, and one assist and it was against us. So, I can't really say if he's a good player or not. But... Is there anyone else who you guys think would fit that mould? Because for what the value would be for this season, I think it's a bit of a difficult one to try and bring a player like that in at the club. What about Harry Wilson? You think Harry Wilson's got blistering oh, pace? Oh, 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 I don't think it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking the question. What, what about Harry Wilson? Because 12 months ago, our fan base went crazy when we learned him out to Bournemouth. Um, we've now seen him in the Prem. We've seen what he can possibly do. So what? Are, are we basically saying he's not Good enough for the club? I I don't think he's of the required level personally. I think he's he's probably like a bottom ten Premier League player. Like he's a really good he's a good player, but like for where we are right now, I just don't think he's anywhere near what we need. Like Sar the Sarlings I find interesting because I like Sar a lot, but he's almost too raw. I can see why we'd want to sign him because I think he's brilliant and he's got a super high ceiling, but I fear he'll take so long to adapt. Like not only is he very raw, but he's also a very shy lad. I'm not entirely sure he speaks good English. All those things matter because... Mane will look after him, though. Both Senegalese. We saw those images with Troy Deeney in the tunnel, you know. So, I think Mane, yeah. Yeah. But um, I I think he's an intriguing player, so I I can see why Klopp would love him. Um, He's got all the attributes. He's got the pace. Technically, he's quite good. Um, So, I'm intrigued by him. But but Harry Wilson, I don't know. I think we should be looking for a a new club for, for young Harry, really. Why do you think no one is signing him? I don't know, to be honest with you. I think he's another, He's a weird player for me, Harry Watson. He's another player where I just think, what's your best position? Is he a right winger? Is he number 10? Can he, is he number 8? Like, I kind of feel like he's one of those players that's fallen by the wayside and that like he's just a forgotten player. Like, I think, he's again, he's a really good player. And I'm sure last summer there were clubs that wanted to buy him out of right, but the club wanted to loan him out to the Premier League club and see how he did. But, yeah, I don't know why people aren't in for him. I imagine COVID and maybe the market plays a role in that, but... I think he's good enough for, like I said, a bottom ten Premier League team. Like he's he's a fine he's a fine player, but just not for Liverpool. 
Yeah, I think teams like Newcastle are being linked with him. Um, I think that Bournemouth loan spell was the make or break of him in terms of Liverpool. I think if he had gone there and shown that, you know what, I'm the man, I can step up, I can lead this team, then maybe he would have had a position in the team as a squad player. And let's remember, he started his time at Bournemouth on fire. He was scoring goals, penalties, free kicks. And we were sort of thinking, hold on, have we got a player here? This guy can potentially come in. But I think Bournemouth's season was very wretched. Obviously, it culminated in relegation. And I think if we can get 20, 25 million for him, I think that would be brilliant business. Yeah, I, I, I feel as if it's a bit unfair on him. Because again, like you said, he did start off the season really well. But then reading between the lines on what Jordan Ivey said on your podcast when he appeared, he, he was basically suggesting that the morale around that squad wasn't good and mm. something wasn't right. So if mm. you're not in an environment as a young player, all right, let's say Wilson's, what, 22, 23 now, he's still young, it's still his big break in a Premier League team. If you're not in an environment where, you know, you feel as if you can really bring something to the team, you are going to suffer. So I, do, I feel sorry for him because the season <laughs> did start off really well for him and it just completely fell apart. It's, it's, it's a weird one, but it's just I just find it really interesting that no one ever seems to speak about him potentially being an option for us anymore. So, Fahi, in your humble opinion, do you think Harry mm. Wilson has a place in Liverpool's attacking lineup? I think if you guys think that Jordan Shakiri has a place in this attacking lineup, there is absolutely no reason why Harry Wilson does not I have disagree. a place. I disagree. Because I disagree as well. I disagree, and I'll tell you why I disagree. Because I watched Harry Wilson very, very closely last season because I was one of those fans last season saying, oh my days, how can we be loaning this player? Hmm. Two problems with Harry Wilson. One, he drifts in and out of games just too frequently. He's not in the game. Two, I think on the ball, he's not great. For someone with such great striking technique, the way he manipulates the ball, it's not up to the standard of Liverpool. He's lazy sometimes as well. Shakiri, unbelievable technique, unbelievable passing. And I think when it comes to just basic ball retention, I don't think Harry Wilson has it. And when you compare that to someone like a Sheldon Shakiri, they're miles apart. But do you not feel as if it could be something that's coached into him? Because he's still a very young player. It can be coached, but not at Liverpool because he's not going to get enough game time, enough time. To, to show his ability. I think he's a good player. And I think the expectation um, pre-COVID was to get 20 mil, um, you know, from, from that cell. But obviously, from what I've heard recently is that no one has that money now. No one has the money to spend on Harry Wilson. So there's mm. a possibility that he may go out on loan again. And just right. to add to that as well, I actually think they're both quite similar players. And I think Shakiri's better than, like, so they have, like, um, similar skill sets in terms of, like, set-piece ability, both play on the right-hand side. And I feel like Shakiri's just a better version of Harry Wilson in, in most senses. And he has the experience, too. And we kind of know what we're getting with Harry Wilson. Like, Klopp likes to play players, but he knows what he's getting. Like, so he always reverts to that midfield of, like, Fabinho, Henderson and Milner, one out one of those, one of those four um, three of those four, sorry. And, like, he knows what he's getting with Shakiri. With Harry Wilson, he's an unknown quantity to Klopp. And I think Dot makes a good point about him drifting in and out of games because that's something I've certainly noticed with him. And he's, and again, it's the sort of player that would produce a moment of magic where he'd be on the cusp of a game. And that's not what we need, I don't think, for, for our front three, certainly. Mm. And another factor is, like, obviously Shakiri is in and around that Melwood environment. So he's training with the likes of Mo Salah, Sadio Mane. Harry Wilson's been on loan to Bournemouth playing with inferior players. So coming back to Melwood, 
how is he sort of going to bridge that gap? That's another thing. And he's not going to get the run of games to be able to show his worth. So I think Operation Harry Wilson is probably over and it's obviously going to culminate in the cell. Yeah, no, no, totally. I, I agree. Uh, like, I'm not team Harry Wilson. It's just more, I'm just kind of looking at the Shakiri situation, looking at the Wilson situation. I'm like, mm, Shakiri's not available half the time. You know, he, he's at an age where, you know, he's not really going to get any better. Wilson, you could potentially build him up a bit more. But then again, like Dot said, you do need to kind of play him to get that experience. It, yeah, it's a bit of a weird one. I guess it is over. Strange signs for Harry Wilson. <laughs> but then, I don't think all right, so one more question. All right, so if you had the option of selling Shakiri right now for, tw- let's say, for example, Lazio did come in for Shakiri and they wanted to buy him for like 19 to 20 mil, or you had the option of selling Harry Wilson for a loan for a season and then a guaranteed fee of like 13 mil, which one would you take? I will absolutely keep Shakiri. I rate him very, very highly. Obviously, I know Klopp maybe has his frustrations with him and doesn't trust him. But me personally, I think what a, what a player. Mm. I I don't rate Shakiri that much. I think he's a good player. But actually, from a logical point of view, probably Shakiri. You know, just because I think Harry Wilson will still be able, he still get get that money next year for Harry Wilson. He's not much older, and I feel like Shaq's twenty nine. Yeah. So I feel like his value is depreciating every single season and quite rapidly. So, yeah, if if you if those two offers came in this summer, I think I'd be more tempted by the Shaq one, but I still do think Shaq's the better player. It's just his age means that I'd want to sell him sooner than, than Harry if the, if the offer came in. No, but the reason why I like Shaqiri, I probably overrate him, is because when I look at Liverpool's team, OK, you've got the first 11, yeah? If you had to pick someone on that bench who is a game changer, he's the first person I'm picking. And maybe that's because our standard ain't good enough after our first 11. But if you're asking me, okay, who's the person that's going to influence the game? It's Shakiri for me. Because we've seen it on several occasions. Mm. Chris, how do you feel about Shakiri? Yeah. It's a weird one. It's, It's... His career is just littered with wasted potential when you look at it. And loads of titles. And yeah, yeah well, they're true. It's one of the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's um his resume is he's quite 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 amazing. You turn up for the job interview and you see all these accolades on his uh, C V and you're like, Oh yeah, it's definitely higher than this guy. And then three months into the uh, into the role you're like, Bloody hell, what have we done here? But um no, it's I think if he it's, it's his availability that's into question more than anything. I think potential, um He's definitely there. Um, it's a weird one with him because, as well, because when you need him to step up in certain moments, like when you know when Salah was injured and he played the Barcelona game, uh, I thought he was absolutely shocking. But he did put the one ball in for the for the goal, and he, he somehow managed to get away with this and, oh, with escaping the with escaping the criticism. But shocking, yeah. he, was, <laughs> he, was, he was so shocking. crap, and then everyone was like, "Yeah, Shakiri, man, he played that game." And like, and and the game before again against uh, Newcastle, he put the put the ball in for. Um, Origi's header, didn't he, uh, to win that? So he has had some decent moments, but it's just the availability for me. I think with the games coming thick and fast right now, um, we've got some injury concerns about the front three to hopefully Salah's a bit more rested than he was last season because I think he probably did have a bit of a niggle. 
When you're ready to ride Metro, we want you to know we're ready for you. Here are just a few of the people at Metro to tell you how we're doing our part to keep riders safe. We're cleaning like never before, but hospital-grade cleaning. You'll find hand sanitizer stations all over the Metro. No mask, no Metro. Need one? We have a few extras. At Metro, we're doing our part to keep the D.C. area moving. Find out more at wmata.com slash doing our part. Uh, leading on from that Leicester game, <clears throat> the hampering for the remainder of the season. I think you need someone in there with that availability. But yeah, if if, if you're offering me this hypothetical 20, 20 million for Jean Jacquet right now and I can make a profit off him, absolutely, he's gone. I can I can let Harry Wilson go for a a, a year on loan to to a Newcastle or a Fulham, and hope he does well there. I think he, he would. This is weird. It's like you are right, though. I mean, that that environment at Bournemouth was definitely convulsive, and he probably did get a little bit out of control towards the end, where you know they're doing all they can, and then you've got all these players on you know, fairly high wages not stepping up, and you do feel sorry for him from that point of view. But if you put him in a decent environment where he's got the right amount of coaching, I think he could flourish. And there's definitely you know reasons why Newcastle, Leeds, etc., are, are, are you know have a vested interest in this player. But you know. As with everything, a lot. I think one thing that people are failing to understand with transfers in general, right about now, a lot of clubs can't make the moves that they want to make because they still need to get the crap off their book to make incomings. So, economically, it wouldn't make sense for someone to pay what we want for Harry Wilson when they can't get rid of, let's say, Safe Alpham, for example, but they still got like a Buffal on their books or a Guido Carrillo, players like that. You need to shift these players on before you can bring new blood in. So, here's what it is. No, I fully but, agree. I think, like, yeah. when you look at the way FSG operate as well, I think they'll definitely get Shakiri off, off the books. You know, he's 29, as we mentioned. No sell-on value. And again, they'll probably think, you know what, Harry Wilson, go out and loan, show your value, then we can sell you for 30, 40 million. So, yeah, I think I'll definitely get rid of Shakiri. This is actually a good segue into the next part. I'm going, to, I'm going to move this segment up a little bit from, uh, from what we've got planned. But I think one of the infuriating things for Liverpool fans at the moment is that we're in such a very good position of strength. And, oh. we've, <laughs> and we've seen this um, fail miserably in years gone by. Uh, you know, for me, it's completely different as you know, circumstances were far, far different in those times. But... <clears throat> How would you go about building on from this position of strength? You know, making an already phenomenal team even better. So the, the the analogy that I use from this, me being a giant nerd, is um, you know, like in a in in Dragon Ball, like or in any anime, when you got the main character and he's trying to find that level to go beyond to to beat the villain that's in front of him. So how, so how do you do that when you're this Liverpool team and you're operating with the constraints that we do, living in this post-COVID world and you know budgets are slightly you know budgets are slashed. As people don't like to believe that we've you know there's you know John Henry and you know Mike Gordon are you know, like, you know that old Scrooge McDuck um, videos where he had that vault full of money like they're doing the, the whole jumping in there is what certain fans like to believe. But yeah, so how would you guys realistically go about doing that? So we know that we've already signed one player in Costa Schumacher to be the backup left back, and from what we've seen and you know some of the stuff we've seen from Olympiacos as well, definitely a good backup there, and it's something that we massively needed. But in terms of other areas of the pitch, attacking-wise, uh, you know, possibly needing another centre-back as well, how would you guys build on that and really take this team from being phenomenal to generational? 
yeah, I mean, Liverpool, when we look at ourselves, we're on that product life cycle where we're at that maturation stage where you need to be winning titles. Like all of these players in the prime of their careers, 28, 29s. So I think a position where we need to strengthen centre-back, I think Van Dijk's solid. He'll play all of the games. But when you look at Joel Matip, Joel Gomez, I'm not sure if they get through a season and I'm not sure about their fitness record. So one player that's available, we're led to believe, is Ben Godfrey. I think we need the type of player that he's not expecting to start every single game, but young enough to come in and out of the side and maybe aid his development. Obviously, we've spoken about the midfield situation with um, Thiago and Gini. I think that's another strong point because we've got like more of a working midfield, but he'll add that finesse and that gal and that quality. And obviously, we've spoken about the front three position. Is Lassar, he's another option. So I think these three or four signings will be able to make us, you know, have a dynasty and maybe win the next two out of three Premier Leagues because that's what we're gunning for. And to do that, you've also got to look at the competition. And I think Manchester City, I'm not impressed with what I've seen. <laughs> I think the additions supplement their squad, but they don't close that gap towards Liverpool. So... As long as they don't make any of those big boy signings like a Koulibaly or, you know, a replacement midfielder for David Silva, I think we'll be fine. I'm not going to lie, you know, because the other projects like Chelsea, Arsenal, they're in the embryonic stages. They're just getting started. So they're going to need three, four years to really provide um, competition for us. So, yeah, that's, that's what I feel. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I basically think we look at the state of our competition and our main rivals, Man City, I think they've done enough so far to to kind of bridge the gap between the two clubs, like between us and them. And like, I think there's so many ways we can make marginal gains even without signers. I say this all the time. Like Minamino has barely played for us. He can play a massive role. Naby Keita can play a massive role for us. I think like a change of formation might help because teams have so much data now. We've played 4-3-3 for two seasons now. Played a similar kind of controlled um, possession-based style for two seasons with the fullbacks playing a major role in our build-up and our attacking play. And I think it might be nice to to have the option of going 4-2-3-1 at times, which is why I'm really behind the Thiago signing because he gives mm-hmm. us that option to have that thrust through the middle. And also with the games coming so thick and fast this season, you want to rest your fullbacks and maybe restrict their running, um, box-to-box running. So 4-2-3-1 helps you do that. And I think that's where we can evolve as a side with Thiago playing in midfield and maybe Navigator. Um, and yeah, I think our build-up play, all these sort of things will be improved if we sign Thiago and he would help us evolve so much as a, as a, as a, as a club. And yeah, I'm so behind these made a signing. Like, it's a weird one because I'm at times I'm like he's too raw, but then like I just think Klopp could do something special with him. To be honest with you, and he's someone that I think would would be nice as a backup. So yeah, I'm 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 infused, and I think yeah, when when you look at our rivals as well, like Chelsea have made some fantastic signings. Really, like you know Werner, Havertz is going to come in. Obviously, Zayech. These are all fantastic players and players for the future. But I still don't think they've done enough to bridge the gap between us and them. And they're going to need time. Frank Lampard's a young manager. You know, he's, he still needs time to develop as a manager and to, and to hone his skills. I still think he's going to make some mistakes moving forward. And yeah, I just don't think they're ready for a title challenge. So when you look at our rivals, you look at where we are as a club. I think we're, we're in a fantastic shape to, to dominate for a few more years. I know we have that, con- we, we've talked about it before, Mike, uh, that we've had that concern about the average age of the squad yeah. and that we should possibly be investing in, in, in younger players. Um, 
and Fahi, we've covered this as well, me and you before, where we've talked about Werner was possibly the start of that, not not a rebuild per se, but that retooling to bring the average age of the squad down and planning for that second or, I guess it would really be the third, the third stage of this Liverpool, Liverpool lifespan more than anything. Um, how would you guys feel if we started targeting, again, players more in that 21 to 24 age bracket? Uh, that we are severely lacking, in, in my opinion, going forward. So let's just say, I always use this guy as an example, let's say Hosomawa became available um, for a fair oh, He is available. Chris, you know how I feel about this question. Like, <laughs> we need players in that age bracket so desperately. Like, we haven't got many starters in that age bracket. I think it's only Joe Gomez and Trent in that age bracket who start for us regularly. Yeah. And the only concern I've had this summer is, Havertz is a fantastic player, and Sancho is obviously a, another player that's in that age bracket. Those are probably these two leading players, apart from Mbappe in that age bracket, that I can think of anyway. And we're seeing Havertz go to Chelsea, and we've seen Sancho linked heavily to Manchester United. So the only concern I've had is that those are two players I'd want us to be in a conversation for. And I understand with COVID and with other, other bits and bobs that we can't obviously finance those deals. But yeah, we, it would have been nice for us to be in a conversation with those two leading players in the age bracket, but there are still fantastic footballers in the age bracket, and I think Iowa was someone that I would or always... How do you pronounce his name? I have no idea. To be fair. Awa. 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 He'd, he'd have an absolute... <laughs> he'd have an absolute mare in the West Midlands, by the way. Just like, <laughs> a lot of people going, oh, ah. He's head to be kettled. Yeah, he's someone we should look at for sure. And then there are so many other players in the age bracket that we can look at. So I'm a Vinga yeah, from nice Renz as well. He's looking I like think... a bad boy baller. The Renz yeah. still there. He's looking I think very to good. go back on, on the Sancho point, I think Liverpool are in contact. Obviously, I don't think it's strong oh? contact. Oh. But, but, oh! No, I'm not saying... They, <laughs> no, they, no, they, they have been, you know, kept abreast of the situation. And I think... Yeah. I think they said it on Sky, actually. I think if Sancho doesn't move this summer, I think Liverpool are going to put their seat at the table very, next summer. Very, very, very interesting you said that because didn't Klopp say something earlier in the season? Jaden Sancho, fantastic player. Uh, possibly not one for us this year, maybe next. Exactly. So, No, obviously I've spoken to people, you know, close to that situation and yeah, they've mentioned the same thing that come next summer, when teams or other teams have their finances in order and there's not that financial black hole, there's going to be some teams like Juventus, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Liverpool in for Sancho. So I personally think this is the last season that our front three will be constants. I think next summer Agreed. something's going to have to give. I think out of that front three, I would say Salah, in my opinion, is the most vulnerable to wanting to venture out and maybe go to Barcelona or go to Juventus. So yeah. I think definitely if Sancho doesn't sign for Manchester, Manchester United this summer, next season, I can see him coming to Liverpool. Yeah, and it's something that I've said on here as well. Like, I think we're, bank, we're hoping he doesn't sign for United this summer because if, it's, so, if yeah. he doesn't sign the next summer, I think we will try and move Salah on. I think Salah will try and move on anyway, to mm. be honest. I mean, also commercially, it makes massive sense as well. Um, him being a Nike nice. athlete, yeah, aligning yeah. himself with us being, you know, the new flagship uh, team. So, think, and I don't think Liverpool are stupid enough to turn down a Jaden Sancho. I honestly believe yeah. that if one of those front three decide to leave, I'm talking about more money or Salah, Liverpool will be interested in getting Jaden Sancho or Kylian Mbappe. Like literally, they will do it because they will have the funds to to fund a deal like that. 
And yeah, just to touch on Salah as well, I think it would make sense for him to almost, not to leave, but like a new project would make sense for him next season because he's gonna he's gonna probably score he's gonna have scored a hundred goals for Liverpool, over a hundred goals for Liverpool by the end of the next season because he's on like ninety two now. So he's gonna he's obviously gonna score more than eight goals next season, or we hope so anyway. And like Sancho would be such an amazing replacement for him, honestly. So I'm I'm keeping my fingers crossed that he stays at Dortmund for another season that we can be in that conversation because if we sign Sancho. Oh my gosh, I'll be so excited, honestly, because he's got such a high ceiling and to work with someone like Klopp would be just amazing, to be honest with you. So, yeah, let's hope he doesn't get that United move this summer. No, I don't know if he'll be at Dortmund next summer. I'm not going to lie to you. It's up to Man United. It's up to Man United. If they find the money, they'll get Jadon Sancho. They they know how much they have to pay. Mm, there's yeah. been a total agreement between Sancho and Manchester United, but it's between yeah. the clubs that, that that's lacking. You think so. what happened, guys? What do you think? What's your like gut feeling? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I've said it previously. I think I think it will happen. I think it will happen in the last days of the transfer window. It'll be a big blow, you know. Yeah, I, I think I think Man United will get there, man. I think Man United will get there, but there's another school of thought that you know what Manchester United are moving on to other targets. Obviously, Donny Van Den Beek maybe to save face for the fact that they're not going to get Sancho. But I think Sancho gets done. I think there's a willingness from Man United to get that deal over the line. And yeah, I think it'll be done. Let's hope not, because there's one thing that I don't like in this life, and it's Man United fans being happy. So, uh... (laughs) (laughs) you know what? what? I even kind of think if they did get Sancho, I think that would be to the detriment of their other transfer business, because you spend 120 million on Sancho. They're not going to have that much more money after that. So they back, that don't they? Yeah. If they just get Sancho and Van der Beek, I'm not really that... When you're a pro, your reputation is built and proven over time. That's why the Home Depot carries Loctite PL Premium Max construction adhesive, the strongest on the market. It stays 100% solid after curing. It won't develop air pockets. And like your reputation, it holds up over time. Right now, get 12 or more for the bulk price of only $8.53 each. Loctite PL Premium Max at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Minimum purchase required, US only. I also think, to be honest with you, like they've got Greenwood, who looks an exceptional talent. And they have a really young front three that don't really need replacing. Like they, those three could develop into really exceptional footballers, the three of them. Like, I know I'm, I just wanted them to sign Sancho, so I'm trying to put a case forward. And just... <laughs> <laughs> like, listen, those three are good enough for you guys. You develop those guys. We'll, we'll take Sancho, and then you can sign someone else's backup for those three. That's what I'm hoping. I don't know. They, they, are, they are looking for director of football, Mike. So, I mean, uh, if you were uh, putting a good shift here, you're probably going to be doing a good job. So, yeah, let's, I just want to touch on the BBC documentary that aired uh, earlier this week. And for me, it was more one of those like, kind of like Vietnam flashbacks of ghosts of Christmas past that have happened from, from previous lives, really, uh, in terms of just, just the journey it's been to you know, get to this point and be in a position of, of strength and to, to win the first league title. So, so um, I just want to go around the table and kind of just what, what you thought about that documentary, how that made you feel. And it just made the whole title win a little bit more sweeter, in all honesty, didn't it? Definitely. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, you know, l- l- looking at it, past 30 years, um, it has been a roller coaster. Um, I thought the documentary was very, very good. Uh, obviously, 90 minutes long. They could have actually turned that into a series if they wanted to. 
because there's so much detail they didn't even get into, like Sunes's tenure. They didn't really get into Roy Evans' tenure. Um, Rafa was even skirted on, to be honest. Like he had like a 10 minute segment. Um, but yeah, like just, just looking at the pain that we've been through as fans, and just like, I'm not even going overboard with this. Like we have literally been through pain. We've been through highs and lows, like extreme lows to the point where we think the club's going bust. So like, yeah, it, it's mental just seeing us come full circle to the point where we're champions again. And I think that documentary only kind of solidifies the reason why fans are so insistent on us improving this squad because we don't want to be a flash in the pan, one-off Premier League winner, like title-winning team. We want to win it more than once. We want to kind of build a legacy and you can only build a legacy by winning the title more than once, man. No, I'm fine. I 100% hear that, but I'm not going to lie. Me as a fan, I'm done. Like, we've achieved what we needed no, to I achieve. Like, we won the Premier League. Listen, if we don't win it for the next five years, I'm good. Honestly, I'm good. I'm not good. I'm not going to lie to you, bro. I need to... I need to... Listen, I watched United win titles back-to-back. I need to be... I need to see Liverpool do that. I'm hungry, I'm, man. I'm a hungry... We need to see it with our fans in the stadium as I'm well, so man. That was... Yeah. I'm enjoying this one. This one has been fantastic. That's been one yeah, of the I'm best... Not say, my, I'm not saying that I don't want to win another one, but I'm saying I'm good. Like, I'm achieved. Yeah, I'm fair. content. Fair, bro. I see that. I see that. For me, the documentary was a bit of an emotional one because, like, like what he said, we've been on this, on this crazy journey. For me... Like kind of those Rafa years, I thought we were going to bring the league home. I remember when that summer we signed Fernando Torres, Yossi Benayoun, Babel. That was I was so excited to go into that season, think we're going to win it, and then we finish, we finish fourth, and then the next season we finish second, and we run run up um, second place to that amazing United side, obviously that win the Champions League and the, and the league in that period of that three year period. So yeah, it's been a roller coaster, and just to see where we are now and under Klopp, the the journey being on being on with him is just fantastic, really. Like where we were when, when he signed and where we are now. Like when City got hundred points two seasons ago, I never ever imagined we would ever get anywhere near that. Yeah. Like, I thought, listen, they the bet they've raised the bar way too high. Like it's we, we can't get near them at all. They're just in, in another level. So for us to match them stride for stride practically last season, and then you know, obviously this season just mm-hmm. gone, to 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 get ninety-nine points. It's just exceptional. Like none of us ever thought that'd be possible. So it's just like just enjoy these moments. Like I do, I do hear what you're saying, Dot. Like I'm, I'm content that we've won this one league title, and I'm not someone that's like crying about lack of signings or anything. I'm, just, I'm enjoying this, but I also have this hunger and desire to see the club dominate because we have the capacity to do so. Like we have the players. Like Van Dijk is still at a really good age, and we see the, the front three is still quite hungry in the midfield, and we we have the squad, we have the players. And I just want to see us add a few key players to that and just go on a really good run for the next few years and bring some trophies home to, to Anfield. I, I, no, I echo, I echo what Mike has you know, said. I think that documentary embodied what Liverpool are about and what life is about. You have your hardships, you bounce back. Other low period, you bounce back, particularly the early years with Hillsborough. I think us being Liverpool fans of our age, we probably don't know We've heard about Kenny Dalglish, but actually seeing what he went through, you know, putting yeah. Liverpool on his back and <clears throat> that face, you know, and carrying us, you know, to titles and obviously having to leave the club due to exhaustion, you know, like I think it just shows that Liverpool is a family. It's not a football club. And I think that documentary just reaffirmed that, yeah, we're a special club and we're an iconic club. What that documentary showed me was um, that no matter what you think of them, like, 
I know people hate them, people want them out, but FSG, they save Liverpool, like. And that's why I'm yeah. not one to ever criticise them. I think they're very good owners. I, think <laughs> <fantastic>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't understand why people are so negative towards them, but I think they've done a great job. They brought Liverpool the league title, like. It's easy to say, oh, without Jurgen Klopp, we don't win the league. But they were the people to trust Jurgen Klopp and give him that infrastructure to build the team. So I just don't get it. I think it was so funny hearing about, um, I, I knew about this one before, when they did the, uh, when they did the secret meeting in New York, uh, when Jurgen had to like, leave his holiday to go and get a pitch there. And they were so lucky that no one actually spotted any of this because it would have been, it <laughs> would have been quite bad. But, yeah, um, it did come out of nowhere, didn't it? Yeah, literally nowhere. I think they just inquired about the availability and he was ridiculously open to the pack to, to move to Liverpool. So, no, yeah. it's, it, it just, I think the end of that documentary, for one thing as well, just shows you how serendipitous certain moments are. Yeah. Um, it's like what, what Brendan said in the end of that press conference, whether it's me or someone else to pull this team forward. It's like that little comment in the moment, you're thinking, well, they wouldn't sack him now. They've literally given him this money and he's done only a few games into the season. And he leaves, and they've already got him lined up. So it's just very kind of like just moments like that when you make you think, okay, cool. Sometimes you have to be a little bit ruthless to to get where you want to be. Um, and it's crazy uh, if you say that because like Brendan was obviously like so close to bringing the title home to us, and you know, fate it was cruel on him. And in, in that that Chelsea game for me was a pivotal game where we we kind of lost it. And you know, if he won the league that day, we we might not be where we are today. In that like we might have won the league and then completely collapsed, and Klopp might have been at another club. So these things work out in, in strange ways, I guess. And Stevie sacrificed himself for 2020, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's interesting. Not <laughs> it was interesting that Brendan just left that comment that like, if I had Van Dyke, we would have definitely won. Mate, 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 I thought that was such a nasty comment, by the way. If I had Van Dyke, like, I would have won it. I was like, oh, come on, lad. You know, no, I think there's Alex still a lot of... playing left back. There's still a lot of sour grapes from Brendan Rogers. Even when we had our interview on the Beautiful Game podcast with him, you could see that... He wasn't quite happy with how it ended up. And he wanted to be that man that yeah. lifted the title, man. He wanted to be it. Because Brendan Rodgers, he's got that sort of ego that he wants to be in and amongst the action sort of thing. And for not him not to do it, it kind of maybe shaped his career, you know? Two, two, things made, two things made me laugh in the documentary. One thing's about Brendan Rodgers. So, like, you're right. Like, he definitely wanted to be that man that brought the title home. And I remember when he first joined, like, some of the stuff that he was doing, like, changing the goal nets to red... Like all those little things, like he was trying to win over all the reds over. Like he, he knew what he was doing, yeah. But there's one I remember, I remember when Jurgen came in, he was like, get that shit down immediately. There's one thing Brendan says in that documentary that killed me, and it was about the palace game. And he was like, Oh, you know, we were three 0 up, and at half and um at half time I was telling the boys, you know. You know we're we're way too open. You need to you need to kind of calm it down, calm it down. And he he kind of tried to insinuate that the players were going after the goal difference without him telling them to do so. And it was like, yo, you are lying, Brendan. You are hundred percent brought that goal difference conversation to the changing room yourself, and you told them to go for it. But the way he kind of pushed them under the bus and like, yo, <laughs> I tried to tell them that they were a bit too open. And they were trying to chase a goal difference, which is a bit mad anyway. It was like, nah, Brendan, you definitely did that, man. 
it's so funny like hearing him say that now because the whole ethos of your season was attack, attack, attack. So you're literally going to tell them at half-time now to stop attacking. It's like, <laughs> and now you want to play conservative when you could have done that against Chelsea. So, Mate, yeah. oh my God, he's so funny. <laughs> and the other thing that killed me by that documentary was Gerard Houllier. That press conference, the one I where... I forgot about that. Yeah. Oh, one where he storms out. Mate, yeah. amazing. The Rafa Facts one, I... <laughs> It both annoys me as that one annoys me, but I also love it. Like the little smile at the end when he delivers all the facts and stuff. Man. Well, people blew on that portion so much. Like we only lost one game after that run, and the people were saying, "Oh, we lost us the league and we crumbled." We won all of our games, I think, for like two. So that one really annoys me that everyone remembers it as this like defining moment in our history and stuff. The funny thing about the run as well that it was facts. <laughs> so... It was. It was. <laughs> 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 he didn't lie. Like he came, he literally came with his facts to the press conference, and then obviously you know the, the Ferguson put the call in and uh, had the had that good names, good man's name tarnished to a degree. But um, yeah, it's just it's been a wild ride. I mean, you know, we've all been supporters for a very long time. We've seen some highs, we've seen some lows. Thankfully, it's been some a lot of highs with a fair few lows, but. Um, yeah, it's just been nice to get to this journey, really. Uh, before we kind of sign off, I do want to quickly ask you all individually, who would your ideal signing for this, for this Liverpool team be? Could be anyone. Anyone Bart in the world right now. Anyone in the world, Bart and Bappe. What about Thiago as well? Can we... Can we yeah, take him off him. You can, yeah, we'll take out Thiago as well. Okay. Fai, do you want to go first? Messi. <laughs> You're such a nasty what, guy. I, I, I literally said any any player, any signings. Yeah, I'd go with Messi. Why not? That, that's realistic. Best player in the world. That's who I'd want in the club. Awesome. Chris, how realistic do you have to be here? Like, so anyone but Mbappe? Yeah, basically. So that, that's, that's, okay, that's okay. So we can say anyone. I know who I'm saying. So okay, go go. Kevin Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah, that's that's the guy. I'm gonna go for a left wing one here, like a wild card, Joao Felix. I feel like he could be. A, I feel like he could be a mad player. Like him or him or Sancho would be my pick. Like I would prefer yeah. Sancho. But just we did. I, we I, did scout him a lot, didn't we? Yeah, I've really expressed my love for Sancho. So I think Felix is a player that could easily fit our system as that false nine player. Maybe um, he's got the ability, and I feel like Atletico Madrid is probably a poor move for him. For the life of me, I don't understand why he made that move. I don't know why he went that move yeah. at all. Like he was going to such a defensive-minded coach. It's. Mike, can I ask something? Why do you why do you love Sancho so much? Like, what is it about him that makes you just you know, for me? Do you know what it is? He grew up in this sort of similar part of London to me as well. So I kind of relate to him from like a stylistic point of view. Obviously, I haven't got the stepovers and stuff like him. <laughs> <laughs> but like, he's a street footballer. Like, he's someone that's yeah. like a, a street footballer, and I, and I relate to that so much. He reminds me of somebody in my friends and stuff. And he's just a, mm. uh, I love his exuberance, and he's got the charisma and the talent. I just I just think he's a not only a brilliant footballer, but it seems like a really cool lad. So, mm. yeah, I, I think he, I think he would just be such a big signing for us if we, if we did manage to get him in next summer. But it looks like he's going to to that club down the road. So, it's a shame. It's a shame. I'm gonna have to sever my ties with Sancho FC. But um, <laughs> yeah, man, that's why I like him. Cool. I would just say Kevin De Bruyne. I'm not gonna lie, but um, who else? Two, two, two. I'll probably say Dea Oppermancano. I like him a lot. I think this guy is going to be the truth. Over the next 10 years, I think, imagine him alongside Virgil van Dijk. I know we've got Joe Gomez. But for me, Gomez hasn't really kicked on as I would have liked. I think there's still more for him to um, improve on. But I think Dea Oppermancano is a monster of a defender. So I'll pick him just to be left field. Really, Dave? 
Yeah. Big, I'm not sure, you know. No, I would pick him. Like in terms of defenders, obviously you've got the usual the Sancho's and I think, I think Joe's think... Joe's progress over the last two seasons has been great, to be honest with you. I don't like, think it has. No. It's it's, 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 no. Why is it absolute sacrilege on this in this podcast no, to say no, anything no. D- discerning about Joe Gomez? You know, <laughs> fantastic over the last two years. That is injury no. problems. Well, well, I've not I've not said he's not been fantastic. What I'm trying to say is the way we seem to speak about Joe Gomez's progress in the last two years. It hasn't been as good as everyone makes out. Bro, I, I fully the, agree with you, man. I, I think, think he's been injured. But I think from what I was expecting, like there was a season where he came in and we're like, you know what, this guy, he's going to be like sort of like a generational talent. I'm yet to see him deliver that sort of performance. Let's remember the guy's only how old? 23 years old. That is very young for a centre-back. We've seen in the last two years performances where he has outperformed Virgil van Dijk. And that's the biggest compliment we can pay this guy. Where he needs yeah. to improve is decision-making and concentration. Decision-making and concentration. There's a few games where I saw him. He looked ruffled. I remember the City game after. Obviously, everyone was off form. But he has these lapses of con- concentration. When the ball's coming over his head. Yeah. You know, oh, he's yo, Dej, me, me and Chris say this all the time. And yeah, but these are things that can be worked on. Yeah. You know what it is, though? I just think, like, he makes the mistakes I would expect a young 23-year-old centre-back to make. And, like, I've seen him, like like um, Dot says, outperform Van Dyke. So, I, I listen, he's not been the best defender in the world in that two-year period, but I think he's been one of the best young defenders in the world, certainly, over the last two years. Like Definitely, because we're quick to say, oh, diet up him and con. We're not watching him week in, week out. We're not. Would you, like, would you, put, would you put Joe Gomez... Would you put Joe Gomez off the bar with... Sorry, people said Delict is the next best thing to, since sliced bread. He went to Juventus and he struggled a bit. I know he got stronger towards the end of the season. So there's no 23-year-old centre-back that's untouchable. They're all going to make mistakes. Even Varane, till this day, is still making massive clangers. And he's regarded as one of the best centre-backs in the world. Yeah. Mm, I've watched Opperman Khan up close and personal around 10 to 15 times. And I've recognised that this boy is the truth. At a young age, he's got the technical ability to thread balls through midfield. He's got the leadership qualities as well. I've got massive stocks on him, man. So yeah, yeah, I'll take that. Would you say he's better than Joe Gomez is now? Like if you if you if you had a choice between the two of them right now for Liverpool, I'll pick Deo Opperman Carno. Seriously, uh, yeah, I think he makes us a better starting eleven. I'm not gonna I do lie. like him, but I think I've got bias towards Joe Gomez. Oh my god! Stuck the entire <laughs> cup and bloody cast. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> for Joe Gomez, man. It's you yeah. can't even you can't even have a critical discussion regarding Joe Gomez with us. Like it, honestly, no, so fine. I take your points completely. Like, listen, he has had his injury problems, and at times he does have some some flaws in his game, but. I think his progress over the last two years has been great. And like, yeah, that's again, I'm not criticizing his ability. It's clear to see what his ability is, and he has had some great games. But I think this progress conversation we keep on having about Joe Gomez, I don't think it's as high as everyone's making. Bro, I fully agree with you, and I think that might be an issue sometimes with our fan base. We kind of get blinded. But if so you, you remove say? yourself, I think. What did you going to say, Chris? I was going to say, would you both, would you and Fahi both say he's kind of hit that? Soft cap of his ceiling as, as a player. No, 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 no. I'm saying like <laughs> he, 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 he could he could coast for, for now and still be a very very good centre back. But he's definitely got that level to go beyond, like we just said, in terms of his concentration, some of his positioning stuff when he's you know dealing with balls over the top. I think this is a guy that potentially had a career-threatening injury and was. 
We're trying to say that he's not good enough to be Liverpool's leading centre. No, 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 no,
I will caveat that though, Mike. Has he has he usurped Matip through his playing ability or the fact of Matip's availability? Both, I think. Both. Because I think there was an appetite to to start the season with, with Joe Gomez. And I think people forget the period where we won the league title, I think, or the period that was crucial to it, is that period where we keep the 10 clean sheets. And Van Dyke and Gomez was as good as Van Dyke in that period. I remember the game against Wolves at Anfield where he was fantastic. So, I, I, yeah, I really think Gomez is, has, has developed quite well, to be honest with you, as a, as a footballer. And I do take the point that our fans can go overboard with him. I do take that point, like fans saying... He's the top five centre-back in the world and all those kind of things. Those shouts are a bit bit wild, but he's as good as anyone in that age bracket, that 23, 24-year-old young centre-back age bracket. And he's developed well. We have to give him some some credit, I think. Uh, no, I agree with Mike. I understand the criticism of Joe Gomez. And I said it, the concentration, the decision-making. Sometimes he switches off. Sometimes he's funny when he goes into the wing-back position to like, win a header. He can sometimes slip or lose concentration. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, Joe, what is going on? But when he's playing at the top of his game, I don't think there's many better out there. I mean, just that share recovery pace. Like, it's just unbelievable how many times our defence is out of the game and he just comes from nowhere and just saves us. He's, he's a terrific centre-back. Well, you might get your wish, Dej, because if you remember, Liverpool and Red Bull Leipzig have a fairly good uh, good relationship. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's going to be interesting because I think this is a position we do find ourselves in when we're looking at transfers and stuff in terms of who could push us into the next stratosphere, as it were. There is a kind of a limited amount of players who can really take us to that next level above. I mean, there are, of course, there are players that can help supplement the squad and be good rotational options. But in terms of when you see, I think one of the big things that really gets fans well is you see like, you know, Chelsea spending a large sum, you know, a large sum of money, which you know football transfers have kind of deluded what large sums of money are uh, for, for Kai Havertz. But we could sign a Kai Havertz, and he probably wouldn't necessarily start for us at this current moment of time, just because of his positional versatility more than anything. Mm. If you guys agree with that or, or well, not. I'm not going to lie. Maybe it's controversial. But I like Kai Havertz, but I don't see this 100 million Thank player you. when I watch him. That's just yeah. me personally. I was barking for him for about two straight months as far he brought up today, Natalie. Um, and... Podcast episode. <laughs> we should have a 10-minute segment talking about Kai Havertz to the point we were inviting guests on to talk about Kai Havertz, basically. It was ridiculous. <laughs> this campaign was... I think Dot makes a good point, to be fair. Like, he looks this phenomenal talent, but the fee, I'm looking at it thinking, I don't know, man. Like, he's, yeah, he's, I, I wouldn't have he's, that. He's an incredible player, but, like, that fee is a bit... Mike, the question is, and I want to ask everyone this, I want to see what you guys say. If you had to put Jao Felix's skill set and Kai Havertz's skill set and you had to value them both, and who do you think is the better player? Felix. 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 Obviously, Felix is more technically, aesthetically pleasing. Mm, I think Kai Havertz is more upright and more (laughs) functional, more German efficiency, and they're, they're calling him like Balak. And from what I remember, Balak, he wasn't the most glamorous on the eye. So I think Jao Felix would be priced at a higher ceiling. So if I was to value them in today's market, Jao Felix, still only, what, 20, 21? Um, I'll probably say 120 million. I think Kai Havertz, 70 million, 60 million. It works out. Yeah. 
I, I think I think Havertz's value valuation, sorry, does work out because I think the extra twenty mil because it came to what eighty two, eighty three, right? I think there's twenty mil of that is based on performance related. Yeah, that's fair actually. That's a fair point. I think yeah. it's realistic, realistic add-ons. So I do think they'll get that 100 million. Oh, where is it? 100 million. Yeah. What, do you, what do you reckon all those add-ons are based on, though? Do you reckon it's appearances, goals? Probably like appearances. Goals, making the Champions League, maybe winning yeah. the Champions League, stuff like that. I, I think Christian Falk said on our, on our pod that, like, oh, they tried to say, yeah, win the Champions League and we pay X amount and... They said no, no, no. That's not happening. <laughs> I always find it funny. I always find it funny when certain clubs do do that, though. So, oh yeah, there's the Champions League winning clause. It's like you're never going to Ballon d'Or. Yeah, Ballon d'Or clause. And it's like you're probably never going to get to that level. So ambitious to even put that in the conversation. But but yeah, I mean, I'm 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 a fan of him, but I wouldn't have paid what uh, by Leverkusen were asking for because I think he is a extortion amount of money I probably would have gone 60 max but then and then again I mean we had this conversation with Rafa Honigstein on our pod uh, in terms of where he would fit in at Liverpool in terms of in the team he could possibly play as a, a full stone in, in that Bobby role as he has got the positional versatility for it good striker of the ball and we did see him do that for Bayer Leverkusen because at some points but in terms of a week out week out week in week out uh, in, our, in our squad very difficult to see what he'd do because in terms of you know the graph for our midfield as we, you know, touched on at the beginning of the part, you've seen how much one Adams had to sacrifice for his game to play in this midfield, and how the functionality works. So, it's it's a very tough one for certain players. I think someone like Kai Havertz, you can only sign them if you're building your team around them. Yeah, yeah. and I don't know if Chelsea are doing that. Who would you have to build him? Build him. I've, I've got reservations over that profile player. I've always said it, and people crucify me like Griezmann. Kai Havertz, Deli Ali, that player that's just a support striker. Unless they're playing in the false nine, I don't know where they fit on the on in the pitch. Yeah. Who would you I, say Chelsea? Are, who would you say Chelsea are building around? Out of I don't think Chelsea. I, I I don't have a Scooby who Chelsea are building around right now. To be honest, I, I, don't, I don't mean they know what they're doing right now. <laughs> I know they're <laughs> stockpiling. They're stockpiling all of the talent. I mean, yeah, Wagner, I Ziyech. You know, have arts. How are they going to fit these people in? Right. I was yeah. thinking, based on the way Pulisic ended the season, I'd build around him. But then I'm thinking, you've got Timo Werner, maybe build around him. Tammy may, may be surplus. Maybe Tammy. Don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's weird. They're, they're a weird team, I think, Chelsea. Very weird team. Go, go show you, you can have all the money in the world, but if you haven't got a cleverly executed plan, you can, uh, it could possibly go a little bit awry. But, you know, time will tell on that one. Um, anything else? Anyone for anyone else in terms of topics you want to quickly cover? I mean, um, I, I would ask our guests: Do they have anything they want to plug right now? I want to plug that I think Liverpool win the Premier League again this season. Um, I'm expecting 98 points, maybe. Um, nice. Yeah, and I don't really see any real competition. Yeah, I, like I think. I think for us now, I want to see us win that Champions League again. And I think we do need additions. I think our squad depth is lacking. But um, yeah, I think we'll win the league. That's going to be so uh, nice. Who's on the dead shopping list then in terms of additions? Additions, obviously Thiago. I think that's going to happen. Um, Ismail Assar. I'm thinking realistically. Ismail Assar. He's got the perfect (laughs) profile. We haven't got a player of that profile outside of Mane and Salah. So I think that makes sense. Agreed. 
And um, I would like a centre-back because people are talking about Fabinho potentially dropping in as a fourth-choice centre-back. I'm not a fan of that personally. I think this is a world-class midfielder, so play him in his rightful position. So Okay, but Ted, would you accept that if Thiago comes in and that's the only way they can fund that deal? Of course, because it makes our squad much more versatile. So you have to make a concession for that style of player because I believe Thiago takes this team forward with his attributes. So, yeah, I, yeah. I would take that. Yeah, I think based on the options that we currently have as well, I think although mm-hmm. it's not ideal having Fabinho as a fourth-choice centre-back, I think based on the amount of bodies we have in midfield, I don't think it'd be that much of an issue. I mean, do you think like, Andy Robertson can possibly be that fourth-choice as well? So, yeah, yeah. I know he plays that role for um, Scotland as well. Mm. I think him and Kieran Tierney sometimes alternate, so that's somewhere where he could figure out. But I think that work well in a three, in a back two. I'm not sure with his height (laughs) and his aggression. If I'd be, you're not a fan, not a a centre back at all. Robertson, would you push um, push Keanu Hoover's development at all now? I think he could do a job at centre back. No, I think it's too early. I think that's the issue with Liverpool. To get into this eleven, you're gonna to have to be generational, man. You're gonna like yeah. that's the problem. Rian Brewster's facing, and uh, Jan as well. I think, yeah, we need ready-made players to be coming into our team now. That's that's the price of success, unfortunately. And that's why I love him or love him, man. Love him is the perfect fourth-choice defender. Like I've always said, like the best fourth-choice you can ever have. Like, thank you, thank you. <laughs> People like to make out he came in and just was colossally shit every time he was you know, called yeah, to action, but still very reliable, believe, ironically. I, I still can't believe people said Skirtle had a better Liverpool career than Lovren. Like, I mean, I mean, this is the same fan base that says Martin Skirtle was a club legend. That was baffling to me. I like, think the Lovren. issue with Lovren is that his ability didn't match his words that will come out and say he was very uh-huh. outspoken. He brought trouble <laughs> onto himself. And obviously, most of the time, it culminated in something going horribly wrong. So, I think <laughs> that was more... Period in 2018, where he was going around saying he's one of the best centre-backs in the world? Yeah, he fully I, love that. I love that so much. Every interview. <laughs> Martin Skirtle would be such a good WWE character. Like, with the confidence he's got, you know, you know, I'm the best in the world, etc., etc. So <laughs> It's admirable. You've got to respect it, but... I mean, when your ability or your playing standards aren't matching up, you open yourself to ridicule, man. Yeah, yeah, quick question. I've just seen this question come up. Do you think John Arno Reese is a club legend? Mm, no. Yes. He's a cult hero. Cult hero. But what, cult guy, hero. can I ask a question, actually? So I see these phrases used, cult hero, legend. Like, what do we mean by cult hero? Because I often see that used for some players that are like, maybe not banter figures, but players are like, maybe... Like I'd, say, I'd say a guy like... just Origi. Origi is a cult hero. Yeah. I say like a what's JJ Carter, someone you say is a cult hero. What's the dividing line between a legend and a cult hero? I think a cult, a cult hero, hero is someone who's appreciated by by that group that he's supposed to be appreciated by. Does that make sense? So by by the Liverpool fan base, like we all appreciate. Let's say Luis Garcia, yeah, he's not a club legend, but he is a cult hero. Like we will appreciate him, whereas every other fan base in the UK probably won't appreciate what he did. That's fair. I basically, you know, the point I'm trying to make is I think that the dividing line between cult hero and legend is like quite arbitrary. And like no. pe- people just use both terms like... Mate, you know what it is? I think the big difference is, is that a legend is 
your top three players or your top four players, okay, so right now, Salah, Mane, Van Dijk, then the cult heroes are the ones that are like your eighth choice, ninth choice. So they were pivotal, but they're not legends. For okay. example, yeah. I would say Ronaldo, he's a cult hero. I'm not going to call him a Liverpool legend, but for me, he's done great service. He's been one of the key players. <clears throat> he's a cult hero. Origi's a cult hero because of his moments. Yeah. You see what I'm trying to say? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I hear that. I'm, I'm, just, I'm wondering because I kind of have a rough idea what I, what I think it means, those two words mean. But I see people, you see people called Daniel Agger a legend, and I'm like, no, not for me. I think uh, he's probably a cult hero, but I don't know what people mean when they say legend and cult heroes. I want to get some clarity from you guys. Yeah, I think, I think we as Liverpool fans need to clarify it for Liverpool fans because I think people are going over club <laughs> <laughs> legend stuff, man. It's still in my head in that. Yeah, yeah, I think when you use the term legend, it's someone who's probably had an impact away from the club as well, like overall in the game. So he's a legend of the game and also has to, happens to be a legend of the club. Like Kenny Dalglish is a legend of the game and a legend of the club. Steven Gerrard, legend of the game, legend of the club. Whereas Guy, uh, you know, let's say Luis Garcia, court hero, Liverpool hero for some of the, you know, heroic season on the pitch. So it's just defining those guidelines, really. It's like the, the star boy and generational thing that we always talk about. Hmm. Well, what do you, what do you classify as that? Oh, and that's boy. another, that's a completely battle in itself. But uh, we all know that, you know, uh, Trent is a star boy and Reese James is just okay so yeah Trent is generational <laughs> man Trent is generational <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, go get the jabs in where you can haven't you um, Dej anything you want to plug for your fantastic podcast yeah you can listen to us on the Beautiful Game podcast on YouTube you can also find us on Apple Spotify on the same name you can find us on Instagram at pod underscore TBG. You can also find us on Twitter at podcast underscore TBG, the beautiful game podcast. And also my personal Twitter handle is at Dej underscore TBG. My personal Twitter is at NFC Nina. And if you want to debate with Fahi whether Joe Gomez is good or not, he's at FIFAHI for fun. Dej, Dart, I want to say thank you so much for joining us this week. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. Pleasure, bro. You are absolutely welcome back anytime you want. Open invitation. Um, hopefully, I'm not out of line saying that, Fahi. Um... <laughs> thank you, man. We're loving the Liverpool content, man. You guys keep doing big things, man. We're supporting. Oh, thanks, man. We really appreciate it. Um, also, want to give a massive shout out to some of the guys who came over for the Touchline Fives to rep- rep- uh, represent Copend. Uh, I want to thank Jordan, Khalid, and Amir. Um, we were a little bit short. They came in a little bit short notice and uh, helped us with, with the Touchline Fives, and hopefully they're helping us this evening as well. So, big thanks, thanks to you. Um, also, if you're loving the Copend content and you want a little bit more, a little bit more exclusivity, access to the cast please do head over to our Patreon page where you can get unlock a host of bonus content. So that is www.patreon.com forward slash cop and fracas where you can unlock a lot of these benefits from just there's little less three pounds a month. But that has been it from everyone here. We will see you next week for your next installment of Cop and Fracas.
Does anybody want breakfast? Guys, let's go. I'm leaving for McDonald's in five seconds. Why didn't you start with that? The Breakfast Stampede Meal. It's only at McDonald's, where there's a meal for every morning. And nothing says morning like a classic sausage McMuffin with egg. Right now, get this all-time favorite for just two bucks on the one, two, three dollar menu. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sports Social Podcast Network.